House Podcast Radio. Yo, what's up, man? <clears throat> I don't think I've ever been as excited for a J House podcast as I am for this one. Oh yes, this this is this is a long time coming right here. We haven't I, done one of these in a while. I think this is the best. Not to pat myself on the back, but I think this is the best topic that I've ever come up with for a podcast. Possibly, possibly, it's up there. It's up there. I say that because it's required both of us to do a lot of thinking, a yeah. lot of thinking. So I'm going to let you go ahead and welcome the people, and then I'm going to introduce the topic and talk about how the format's going to go, because this is going to be totally different. Bet, bet. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to J House Podcast Radio. This is the Black and White Show. I'm your host, Eric Houston. This is my co-host, Evan Elliott. And this will be uh, part two of the doubleheader because the last podcast we did, I did not post yet, but I will post it tomorrow along with this one. So we will have two podcast episodes dropping tomorrow as part of our Monday doubleheader. So I'll get these episodes out to you guys and welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So I had an idea the other night for a pod. thought to myself, what could we talk about? What could we talk about that's not controversial? Something fun to talk about. Because I feel like as of late, we've been coming on here, and we've been getting kind of fired up or depressed. Yeah, there, so there's I, a lot of that. So I thought to myself, what can we talk about that's fun? What's a fun? And then I thought to myself, well, the most fun I have on this show is our top five lists. Those yeah. are always a great time. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, what would be the toughest top five list ever for me? And then I thought to myself, top five Dark Knight trilogy moments. Mm. At first, my idea was top five Heath Ledger moments, but then because I could do a whole list on just him. Right. I mean, just, just that one character. Right. Um, hey, we could probably do, I could probably do a whole five hour special doing a top five moments of every main character. I mean, they're, yeah. they're that well-written. Yeah. And then I thought, but for Eric, what would be good for him? And then I wanted originally for both of us to do the Dark Knight trilogy, but then it hit me. Nah, I know it'll get Eric thinking. What if Eric had to list his top five of all the great moments of his Zack Snyder <coughs> trilogy that he loves so much? Zack Snyder DCU. What if he had to pick five moments from that trilogy? Mm. And so it dawned on me. I'm like a J House double topic episode, double top five list. I do the Dark Knight trilogy top five moments. Eric, you're doing the Snyder trilogy. Now, this is how this is going to work. In the past, we've bounced off each other. We've gone five, five, four, four, three, three, two, two, one, one. But for this topic, since it's two separate topics, I want to tackle one at a time. So I'm going to ask you a question, and then you're going to go first and present your list. Take however long you want. 
I'll offer some feedback on each moment, and we'll just bounce off and have a great conversation about it. You can start off with your honorable mentions if you have any, and then build your way up the list. Gotcha. But I, I know how much you love the Zack Snyder trilogy, so I really wanted for us to just have a, 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 a podcast to just not argue, just explain, hey, this is why we love this stuff so much. So, yeah. Eric, your question is a very simple one before we get into your list. Okay. As simply as you can describe it, as simply as you can make it, what is it about the Zack Snyder trilogy that is just so special to you that you have such a high opinion of it? And what is it about Zack Snyder's vision that just sets him apart for you and makes him such a special director in your eye that not just you, but many, I mean, this man has a cult following. Not, not many directors have that. Zack Snyder, he is a trend. I I give the man credit where it's due. So Eric, what is it about Zack Snyder and his trilogy and his vision that is so special? Well, well, that's a great question. The, The thing about Zack and, and, First of all, as a director, is that he's uh, he's one of the only directors, if not the only director, who can tell a story visually and and really get his point across with the visuals, with the music, with the the tone of things. Like he can really just do that with the with the visual. And with the music, straight up, just like that. There are not many directors who can do that. Most directors are one-sided. They're either very strong in a story sense or uh, or they lean, you know, one side to the other. They're either all the way visual or they're all the way, you know, story strength-wise. But uh, Zach is the perfect mix of both. And this man knows he, he hits all the right notes and... And maybe that's because of his deep love for the mythology, whether it be 300 we're talking about or or DC. But it, um, he just has a deep respect for the lore and the literature behind what he's portraying. And that's why his his movies come across, as, you know, richly, you know, with Easter eggs and things like that. That's why the discussion is there the metaphors, what these certain scenes mean. He's just able to emit that because of his investment in in the literature and in, and in the lore behind everything. And what attracted me to the, the, the Justice League trilogy, the Snyder trilogy, was that I had, I had no stake in when it came to characters like Superman. We hadn't had a uh, interpretate a modern interpretation of Superman for quite some time, and when he brought Man of Steel to the stage, I remember seeing a Nokia trailer. I was like, "Okay, this is dark. This is serious. Superman is up against some real obstacles." I'm like, "This is it," and it instantly captured me. And I was like, "Okay, let's go." And then. Batman v Superman came and I was like it was like he just read my mind like he knew I'm like okay they didn't deal with the damage and, and things like that from Man of Steel you know so I'm like they, they just went on I'm like I know for BVS he's gonna explore this thing and like go full around you know just explore everything and he did exactly that 
with Batman v Superman, the world building, you know, talking about the mindset of the people, where where they are, and that'll and some of those things will tie into my top five whenever that's time. But he brings you into the mindset of of the characters and and takes the mythology of them so seriously. And some people get mad at him because you know he'll use the the religious um the religious and and mythological uh references to Batman and Superman, you know, like Moses being Superman or Jesus Christ or Batman being uh um a certain Greek mythological character or whatever the case. People get mad at him when he does that, but he does it because that's just how much respect and love he has for the characters to really take them and portray them in that light like they're mythological like this as legendary as they can get that is how zach chooses to betray them not just as some regular comic book characters being adapted off of a, a page and that's what makes it so special he takes it seriously you know he takes it so seriously everything has to be serious there has to be this sense of urgency yes there's a laugh here and there but this is serious. He's this is as real as it gets when it comes to characters like these. And so I think that's what really um really drew me into the the Snyder trilogy. I mean, let me just piggyback off uh, what you said real quick before I pass the floor to you for your top five list. Uh, j- just quick thoughts on Snyder myself. Um, yeah. While I'm not overly crazy on the trilogy i do commend the man for his work on watchmen which i consider the most comic book accurate movie i've ever seen yeah that that that, that was just copy and paste from the book to the to the screen Uh, a million times better than that god-awful adaptation that hbo max did yeah whatever that was right And, and they got jeremy they got my man jeremy irons in it yeah and man, they. But it was, Watchmen, it, yeah. Watchmen is just one of those genre-changing books. It really is. And yeah. for Snyder to take on a project that big says a lot to me about his character and who he is. Right. Um, and one thing I really respect about Snyder is his obvious love for the craft, and he's a he he's a fans director. I mean, he loves his fans. Uh, yeah. He seems like the most down-to-earth guy out there. Yeah. Uh, and I really loved 300 and Watchmen. Uh, Man of Steel was really, really good. Uh, BVS had some great moments. Zack Snyder's Justice League, hey, I- I'd be down for a second one. Yeah. You know, sign me up for a second one. Yeah. It's a shame we won't get it, but it, it would have right. been nice. It would have been nice. Yeah. On the lighter note, Eric, do you have any honorable <coughs> mentions to share or is this just a top five list um man i uh as far as honorable mentions probably probably not because i I have a straight top five for this one because the the movies are so direct in their message and i feel like it yeah if, if you were asking me to do a nolan list too i would say the exact same thing i'm like there's not the messages are so direct between these two directors that there's like 
there's no way I could choose like, okay, that one fell off to the wayside, but it's still good. No, every single moment where there's a certain message that needs to be said in a Snyder or Nolan film is said. So none of these for me could ever be a top, could ever be an honorable mention. I have a straight up top five. Well, see, for me, it was a matter of there's just so many moments that I feel I have to acknowledge. But honestly, the, my biggest struggle was not making this a top five Heath Ledger moment. <laughs> That's tough. Like I, I know I said it's a, it's a Dark Knight trilogy moment list, and I'm looking at all my moments at first, and I'm thinking I made a lot of revisions on it to make sure this didn't happen. But right. at first, I'm like, oh, my God, this is almost all Heath Ledger. Yeah. This is all something to do with him. That's uh, tough. But so, Eric – and are, are these in order? Like these are actually from five to one? Like you have a number one Snyder moment? These are these are just it's a regular it's a top five list, but they're just they're just my top five. They're not really ranked in terms of which one is the, the top, but <clears throat> they'll probably end up coming across as that way anyway. Right. So probably so, so yeah. Eric, Zach Snyder moment number five. What is it? Zach Snyder moment. Number five comes from and and these this top five is just based out of the 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 Snyder trilogy. Um, off top, I already knew what number five was going to be. Um, <clears throat> it's a moment in BVS where in the Ultimate Edition where we see um, the after the village incident in Africa, <clears throat> the um one of the survivors who we find out later was an accomplice to a plot with Lex testifies to the courtroom and the courtroom is the world stage is set. You know, they're saying, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. Superman is going to play by our rules. And, and today is a day for truth. And the woman says something so powerful after she gives her testimony, she's like, you know, I don't think that he'll answer to anyone. You know what I'm saying? My parents tried to run. She's and and she breaks down crying, and the conviction in her face. Because this is Superman we're talking about, Evan. When when we talk about Superman, we're talking about a guy who we know cannot make these kind of mistakes. Who we know always comes out on top. And so to see that narrative of the world viewing him like this from that perspective, when she says he answers to no one. Not even, I think, to God. I was like, Jesus. I was like, bruh. In that moment, I'm thinking about Injustice Superman. I'm thinking about all these different scenarios where Superman has fell by the wayside. And I'm like, bruh, this man truly doesn't. And it sets the reality of the world that you would be living in with someone like Superman. Like, yeah, he's great and he's just trying to find his way. But in reality... This man really doesn't owe us an answer. He doesn't owe us anything. This man could destroy us today if he wanted to, but he's not because he's Clark Kent. He's Superman. He's one of us. But from her perspective, when she just says that, she's like, this man answers to no one, not even I think to God. I'm like, oh, my God. It was just – it was beautiful. It was a beautiful, well-done scene. Well, absolutely, absolutely, and – Real quick, for a slightly different perspective on that scene, I, I didn't really take the meaning of BBS to mean so much that perhaps Superman has fallen from grace. 
as, no, much, no. As, as much as it is the human misinterpretation of him. Of him, right. Now, Batman was a fall from grace storyline, in my opinion. It was, it was. Superman was more so, he's like, I'm a hero, I'm doing the right thing as best I can. But in the minds of the people, I mean, they look at Superman as uh, someone, I mean, I think Batman summed it up best at the party, Bruce Wayne, when he said, Every time you write a story or every time your hero saves a kitten out of a tree, you write a piece about an alien. Right. Who, if he wanted to, could kill all of us and there wouldn't be anything any of us could do to stop it. Right. Like subconsciously, everyone knows that. They're like, you know, if, if Superman ever got pissed off one day, um, what would we do about that? Right. And everybody's kind of like. Dang, I don't think there's anything we can do. I don't think there's, there's anything there, we can do, right? There's, there's that fear because humans right. know, like Superman made the people feel powerless. And if there's mm -hmm. one thing humans can't stand, it's to feel powerless. But they right. they can't control Superman. So right. That fear. But that whole he he doesn't answer to God. That was her saying, like, look, th th this man, like, he does what he wants. Does what he wants. Like, right. And who's gonna stop him? Right, and, and that lady's up there. This court holds like let the record show. This court holds him responsible. I'm thinking, lady, who who holds him responsible? This court, and that means what to right. Superman? Like if 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 Superman really didn't want to be arrested, what would they do about that? Right, nothing. So yeah, that Not is, that's an absolute great scene. Number four, Mister Eric. Number four comes from, I believe, yeah, it comes from from BVS again. Just, just another scene where it's like you said, it's not really who we know Superman as. It's the human flaw. It's the 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 way that humanity, in their regard, is perceiving Superman, and it's also Superman failing to understand that it's a different world that that they a different world that he's playing in now and i think it was sort of a response to some superman fans who feel like you know yeah he should don the red trunks he should always be smiling he should always you know be winning and so when perry white tells clark you know when uh when he gets mad at him because Clark was supposed to be in Gotham reporting a football story, but he went over there to go report about Batman instead, and what he was doing over there, and he's like, "Why aren't we covering this?" He's like, "People don't buy papers anymore." He's like, <laughs> "People don't buy papers. Period." Can't you feel what I'm saying? You know, he's like, "Where's my football story? I I asked you to do that." And Clark's like, "If the press doesn't do the if 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 the uh." The press doesn't do the right thing, then someone has to do the right thing. And that just sets Perry off. He's like, okay, now you're just being a Boy Scout. He's like, so could you if it was 1938, but it's not 1938. The WPA isn't hiring no more. Apples don't cost a nickel. Not in here, not out there. You drop this thing. Nobody cares about Clark Kent taking on the Batman. And I felt like that was such a it was a blow to Superman because he's like, bro, isn't this conversation about what's good and what's wrong uh, a black and white conversation? 
and when he find when 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 it hits him when reality hits him that it's not that it's really not you know he's just like well dang and i just felt like that was such an a well written a well written scene just letting people know that bro i wish it was 19th i wish it was the old days the golden age of superheroes where everything was black and white but as the world grows the problems become more complex. The situations become more complex. So it's not always just a swoop in and save the day type deal. There's a lot of gray area that that happens in there. And so it's no room for, you know, a place, you know, things like that. And so it was just a great scene. And I love it. That scene always sticks out to me. To me, that scene, and I agree with everything you said, but this is what's great about Zack Snyder is how you can pick up different things from different scenes. Yeah. Uh, that scene to me really screamed like the term sensationalism. How like yeah. newspapers don't report on what's like important, they're right. going to report on what sells. And that's the point. It's like, dude, look, nobody in Metropolis gives a rat's behind about somebody in Gotham dressed up like a flying rodent. Where's my football story? Right. Like, is there, like, obviously the Batman story is a lot more like something people need to know than the result of a football game. Right. That's just the reality of the media. Right. But so, uh, number three, Eric. Number three, I have to go with probably Man of Steel here. Because Man of Steel, like I said, is one of the first, um, it's one of the first modern interpretations of Superman in the 21st century. And it was so significant for Superman because I'm like, bro, we haven't seen this guy, a new version of this guy in years. And so I think for, for, for this, for this one, I would have to lean towards absolute, the absolute, cause Michael Shannon is amazing, but I would have to lean towards his scene where he's under the world uh terraformer and and for all the people in the world who's like oh henry's not my superman he's too dark he doesn't smile enough and he's not hopeful or optimistic enough all i would challenge them to do is look at the scene where he's under the terraformer as it's raining down on him trying to trying to terraform the earth and he just he's bringing his arm down and powering up and getting ready to to launch up into it to destroy the machine and you can look up in Henry Cavill's face and you can see a hint of Christopher Reeve right there and i think that was done intentionally but he actually does look like Christopher Reeve a little bit so like you see that and you're like it's a full circle moment like not only is this the new superman but he's also paying homage to Christopher Reeve and his legacy too. So when Henry Cavill just looks up and everything's going on around him and he launches up into that thing, it's just the most Superman moment you'll ever see. And Zach and his direction on that and everyone involved in that scene is purely, it's pure. It's just flawless. It doesn't get any better than that. It is flawless. I mean, I can't really add anything to that. I mean, anytime you see that classic Superman angle of him flying, that'll send chill bumps down any DC fan's spine. It will. It will do you in. But um, I really don't have much to add. So with that, Eric, we're all the way up to number two already. Number two. 
Number two. Now, it's starting to get dicey here. It's starting to get tough because I don't have many for Man of Steel because Man of Steel is so much more of this action-adventure type deal than it is anything else. It's BVS and ZSJL that get all of the, you know, that get all of the attention. So, for number two, I would definitely have to put a Lex Luthor one in here, and I'm gonna go with another one from BVS. Like, God, my whole list is bloody BVS. Um, I'll have to go with BVS because uh, Lex breaks down Superman so well, and, and I know people are kind of split on on Jesse Eisenberg's interpretation, which is understandable given that it's birthright Lex and a different version of Lex we've never seen, but. Nonetheless, I would say that the way he talks to Superman on the rooftop once he has uh, Martha in captivity is something I've never seen in a villain before. He's like, bro, I don't even have to touch you. You can drop the macho act. There's nothing you can do. But but beyond that, it's like I said, it's Zach's attention to the mythology, the bibliography. You know what I'm saying? And you yourself can relate to this as a... Um, as a as a scholar who's studying scripture and a and a pastor, so Zach, the way Zach can just bring those elements to these characters makes and me makes me as a Christian, you know, or religious person or whatever the case, it, or and a believer makes me it just brings it closer to home. So when he talks to Clark in the dialogue, he says, he says, um, he says, uh, because that's what God is. Right, Apollos, uh, Apollo, uh, Jehovah, Cal L, Clark, Joseph, Kent, and then he goes into this tirade. Well, depending uh, uh, who we call God depends upon our tribe. Clark, Joe, no man intervened when I was a kid to rescue me from my dad and my abuse. So you can clearly see then that okay, not only does Lex know his religion and know what he's talking about, but he's also very scarred. Because he doesn't believe that any of it works. He doesn't believe that there can be a God. He doesn't believe that there should be someone that powerful and that good. He believes it's impossible. And so his goal is to make Superman turn that turn down that road. To show him how much of a fraud he is, as he says. To, to see the blood on your hands, so to speak. It's all about bringing down Superman. But the way he describes that and and you know calls calls uh, Clark by his two part name is something that no one's ever done because we do call God Jehovah we do call him Jehovah Rapha Jehovah Jireh all these different names and so I never thought in my life that I would see a villain sort of approach Superman that way and be like Kal El Clark Joseph Kent you know and just break him down like that because he's so angry and it's a it's really a top five villain moment for me all time you know the lines are amazing but you know how I feel about Jesse Eisenberg and, and I'll just absolutely yes absolutely I, I know I said this on a part and I stand by this look I, I've never for just pointless race swapping characters but I will say I feel mm. like BVS would have been a 10 out of 10 if Denzel Washington would have been Lex Luthor. Could oh, you, please. Oh, please you, don't. <laughs> could, no, bro, I'm dead serious. Could you freaking imagine Denzel Washington up there delivering a monologue like that? 
but not like as flamboyant as Jesse. I like just dead serious, like just stone Dark Joseph Kent. There would have been there would have been no way Superman was living that night. I mean, imagine him on his knees in front of Denzel. Like that's just a whole nother level. For he's real, got that, he's got that screen presence. He does, and Denzel's doing the the finger pointing too that he always does, mm-hmm. like an American gangster. I mean, could you, know you imagine him living that line? Oh, and what's the punishment for that? Oh yeah, death by fire. Death by fire. <laughs> that would have been so epic. I can't get it out of my head now, bro. <laughs> like said, I've never been one to just race swap characters, but Denzel that's will be one. Worse. That's one I feel like in a multiverse somewhere. If we're gonna have Michael B. Jordan as Superman, give me Denzel as Lex. That's all I'm saying. Oh, it would be so glorious. Oh, it would be glorious. All right, Eric. Moment of truth. Number one moment. What is it? The number one moment. Um, it turns out that I actually do have some uh one or two honorable mentions. I'm I apologize to break it in right there. Oh um yeah. Before we get to number one, some honorable mentions. Uh, Michael Shannon as General Zod streaming, uh, I will find him. You know, he's getting arrested, and he looks back at, at Clark's mom, and he's like, I will find him. And it's just the delivery. Everything about it is epic because you know he means it. Um, another uh, honorable moment, uh, honorable mention for me would be Stephen Wolf begging before decide to see dark side to reclaim his place i saw my mistake you know what i'm saying it, it was just the conviction the cg the the design of stefan wolf everything about that scene was just beautiful um final honorable mention is going to be bloody dark side it will be dark side making his debut that's my number one honorable mention because we don't get, I know, I'm, and my whole top five list has been BVS, because BVS is where we get to the philosophical meat of the trilogy. Man of Steel and ZSJL are more so the payoff and the the action and you know all that more so than it is the mythology and the and the discussion. BVS is where all the meat and the discussion is. Um, so dark so it was great to just have a moment where the villain doesn't have this ulterior motive he's not just some person who was hurt as a kid he's not some sympathetic sympathetic villain he's not some psychopathic it's just straight up i want to destroy the universe and the voice editing the darkness of it the way you know they just it was just dark and it's scary you know i've i've scoured uh, I've conquered a hundred thousand worlds, you know what I'm saying, looking for those who robbed me of my glory, you know. And Darkseid's not playing, he's not playing at all. He's like, And when this world is scorched, I will come for my great prize. You're coming to Earth, and he tells, like, Yes, bro, I am on my way, I am on my way, and there's nothing that can stop me. So, his whole monologue. You think it's a game? Like, bro, it's not a game. And Darkseid meant it. And it was just beautiful, man. It was a great moment to see Darkseid like that. Oh, dude, Darkseid was like, bro, you don't see a PS5 <laughs> controller anywhere, do you? No, because we're not playing. We're not playing. I, dude, 
Dark Side would have been my number one. If that was my list, that monologue would have been my number one Zack Snyder moment with no close second. I mean, for anything that anyone may say about Zack Snyder, that is one moment that I feel like is objectively epic. Yes. Objectively. Absolutely. Seeing Steppenwolf, like the whole movie, he'd been whooping everybody. No one could even lay a finger on him. And then to see him go from that to he can't even get his words out in the presence of dark side. I mean, right. that's a testament. It is. And and he doesn't make a vague threat. He's like, I will stride. And, and when he says it, the bass kicks in. He's like, I'll stride across their bones and bask in the glory of anti-life. I'm like, this is a promise. This is some revelation end of the world type stuff he's talking about. This is the end of everything. It's all scary. Distance shall be mine. I was all like, of it. Like, dang. Jesus, bro. I'm thinking Thanos is starting to sound pretty merciful right about now. Bro, he makes Thanos sound like a therapist compared to what he's talking. Literally. True. Alright, Eric. Moment of truth, number one. Number one is going to be the most controversial moment in all of the the whole trilogy, and it's the Martha moment, of course. But oh. I, hold I hold it to be number one. You're trying to get me to argue. I can't. I'm, it's not. I, I hold it to be the my number one favorite moment, and the reason why is because it, it does something that's so pivotal that we haven't had a lot of with our heroes and I and I understand um I understand people's frustration with with Luke Skywalker and how he was portrayed and I and I and I understand totally why because there should have been a moment in there where hey you come back from this and you don't let innocent people die and suffer you don't quit being who you are and what I love about the Martha moment is that Batman knows that he's in the wrong. He knows he's going down a dark path, but he never quit being Batman throughout this whole movie. But he understands that he's not the Batman that he should be, the one that people look up to, the one that people hope is in the shadows looking out for them at night. And when he finds out that... And, and plus, the controversy to me was crazy because I'm like, everyone for as long as we've ever known uh, Batman and Superman knows that they both have the same mother. And so, the same mom's name. And so, when Clark says, you know, find him, save Martha, you know, Bruce just breaks down because he's like, I didn't have a chance. I was powerless. I didn't have a chance to save my Martha. I didn't have a chance to save my mom. And he thinks that in that moment that he's fighting against Superman, that he's powerless and that he has to do all that he can. But little does he know that by fighting Superman, he it's not helping him. And that by reverting back to who he was and remembering who and what he fought for, he has all the power he needs. Ben Affleck and I 
And I wish I would have been at SnyderCon this year. I know I wasn't there. Ben Affleck was there tonight. I wish I would have asked him this. It would have been the most personal question and nobody else would ask. Everyone's so concerned about the continuation of the universe and all that. I would have asked Ben Affleck. I'm like, dude, was there any point about BVS where even during your personal life, were you able to bring the pain and, and things that you were going through in your personal life into this role? Because I swear that I felt it during BVS. Ben was struggling with alcoholism, divorce, all these things. I swear I felt it bleed through his uh, screen time in BVS. And so his reaction to, to hearing Martha, his reaction to just, what have I become, was so powerful. And he just drops back. You can see it in his eyes. And then he instantly goes back into Batman mode. He's like, bro, I promise you, Martha won't die tonight, bro. He's like, I promise you. And that symbolism right there is the most powerful thing you could ever do. So I, I, that moment right there is just, bruh, it, it's, it's the most controversial Snyder moment of that trilogy, but I would argue it's also the best. My best would have been the warehouse fight from that movie. That goes without saying. That love, goes without saying. That's I an love, awesome scene. I, I just love that line. I cannot believe me. I believe you. I believe you, bro. <laughs> just the way I, I just love how he says that. It's just so calm. I believe. I believe you. you. <laughs> like I've always said, if a guy is that calm when you're threatening death, you need to be worried. You should be worried. Like there's that scene in that movie. You ever seen Tombstone? That's like my favorite western. I have. Dude, that. Ringo is smashed just through the streets looking for a fight. Anybody will write a gust to play for blood. And then here comes Val Kilmer out. I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> then he says, that's just my game. I'm thinking, nah, if, if I'm calling out someone for a gun duel and some sucker comes out saying that's just my game, he's too confident. Too confident. I don't, I don't like, like my chances. Yeah. Alright, bro. That was a great list. That was Absolutely. Great list. Appreciate it, appreciate that, it, appreciate it. Great, I, I enjoyed it. <clears throat> Even though I understand the logic of Batman's reaction to Martha, I, I still don't think it makes sense or was explained why Superman in that moment referred to his mom as Martha. People are like, well, because he knows if he says, save my mom, he'll be killed because Batman doesn't care. And I'm thinking, okay, but how did Superman put two and two together on that? Right. It must have been a desperate. I would play it off as a de- it, like he was desperate because he was about yeah, to yeah. die. Yeah, you he get was, what I'm saying? He was about it's to one die. Of those things where it's like, okay, it makes sense that he says that in terms of the story because that does set up Batman's reaction and Batman's reaction makes sense. But it's like someone has yet to explain to me in that moment, like, okay, yes, I get that, but, but why? Like, he didn't. He like, didn't know. But, like, when did Superman put two and two together and say, wait a minute, if I call his, if I say save Martha, it'll trigger some emotional reaction? That's the thing. He didn't know. That's neither here nor there. Um, I'm going to start my list off with the Dark Knight. Run it. uh, Trilogy list. But before I do that, let me pay a quick tribute to Christopher Nolan by setting up this analogy. Um, Mm. You know how much I love analogy. Yes. Okay, so there's a rock band people may have heard of called the Beatles. 
the Beatles set the foundation for what a rock band would look like. Singer, right. guitar player, drummer. They took the world over by storm. This is the Adam West of rock and roll, the Batman comparison. Adam, Adam West set the foundation for Batman, set the foundation for this is Batman, the pointy ears, the cape. Here's Robin. He drives the Batmobile. He has gadgets that he uses. You know, th- this is Batman. Yeah. This is the found. This is what we're starting with. Right. Well, later on, uh, there was a band that came out that took rock a little bit more seriously because there were some Beatles songs that were just god-awful and just made no sense, and some were overly goofy. Now, the vast majority of Beatles songs were nothing short of rock masterpieces. Don't get it twisted. Um, but yeah. some of the songs were just ridiculous, and you're like, man, these guys were just high off their butt when like, they did this. Like, like, what did he just say? Gumball, oh, yeah. left foot? But then what? there was a band that came out called the Rolling Stones, Yes. And, they, and they took rock music and made it a little bit more bluesy, a little bit more serious. And this would be Tim Burton, who would take Batman from, and he would from Adam West. He, he would keep the the costume, but now the costume's taking on a slightly different look because now it's solid black, and we've gone from Batman to the Dark Knight. Right. We have the Dark Knight now. We have a more serious tone. Um, and then finally, with rock music, Eric, there was a band that came out called Led Zeppelin. Mm. They were not the first band ever. There had been guitar players before Jimmy Page. There had been drummers before John Bonham, bass players before John Paul Jones, and singers before Robert Plant. However, these gentlemen showed up and came out with a song called Stairway to Heaven. And this is hailed to this day as the flagship song of rock and roll. Why is that? Because that song, Eric, is a masterpiece on every conceivable level musically the build-in to robert singing just that slow melodic acoustic guitar transitioning into the wind chimes robert coming in with that slow there's a lady just that slow just wow what am i hearing and you don't even really know what they're singing about but you're like man this is just artistically beautiful this is what is this? Yeah. But you, you can't quite describe how perfect it is, but you know it's perfect. And then you get into Jimmy Page's guitar solo and everything. And the world yeah. the world had seen rock and roll before, but never this complex, never this broken down, never this just beautiful. Yeah. And this brings me to Christopher Nolan and the Dark Knight trilogy. I hail this trilogy as the magnum opus of DC film. Um, I think the Dark Knight trilogy, is it the most comic book accurate? No. But it has characters with more dimensions to them than any other DC project. It has a more well-written story 
than any other DC project ever. It came, yeah. it came full circle, and it had the best villains of any DC project. It had the best side characters of any DC. I would put Morgan Freeman's Lucius Fox, Michael Caine's uh, Alfred, and uh, drawing a blank, Katie Holmes, the first Rachel. I'd put those side characters up against anybody. Yeah. I would put, from an acting standpoint, forget Heath Ledger, I would put Aaron Eckhart against any villain in the MCU from an acting standpoint. Facts. I would put Scarecrow. I would put Rajah Ghoul. I would put Bane from an acting standpoint against any MCU villain. Yeah. So there's just so many things about this trilogy that I find perfect. But at the heart of it is a story of hope and sticking to your belief no matter what. This is why I love this story. It's almost biblical, and it almost reminds me of the story of Job, the man who lost everything but then got it all back in the end. Things didn't plan out like he thought they would. He didn't always understand what was going on. But in the end, he was rewarded for his efforts. And Batman's the same way. He loses everything, and throughout each movie, his situation just gets worse and worse and worse. But finally, at the end, Batman wins. Gotham finally, and he wins in the biggest sense. It's not just Batman beat the bad guys. It's Batman has restored hope to Gotham. People believe in good now which has never happened in Gotham. Batman has done what his parents couldn't do. Bruce has done it. He has given, and there's a powerful point about having a symbol to believe in, but we'll get to that later. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to run through these honorable mentions. And if you want to, when I'm done with the list of honorable mentions, if you have anything to say on a particular moment, feel free. Okay. Um, I'm going to run through the whole list first. Uh, the first honorable mention is the Joker mob scene with the pencil magic trick and all that. Just a phenomenal introduction to an all-time classic character. Yeah. Just the gall to walk in there after you've robbed them, kill one of them, and then he had the fail-safe plan of their grenades. It's just classic Joker, classic. uh, He doesn't take anything seriously. He fears nothing. Uh, Love that scene. Yeah. Which is amazing. Second... Uh, honorable mention you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain oh that's tough that's a that's a tough one to put it honorable mentions because even in the latest rap music today that line in heroes and villains it was just mentioned bro that's crazy i mean it's an iconic line but i've got five moments that in terms of the whole the actually that is tough that's tough that that line alone, I submit to you, makes up a debate the whole baseline of the Nolan trilogy. And not only that, but the quote is true itself as to you know how you know far what, you bro, can go. I, I, I'm That's tough. I'm That's tripping. super tough. I'm tripping. I'm actually gonna move it up to number two and we have a tie now. Ooh. Say less. Cause that's one. That's one that's just like you called me out on that one. Hey, I ha- bro, I couldn't imagine it. It's not even, and that speaks to the to the perfect to to the. You can have all the CGI you want. You can have hey, all man, the. Hey, 
Hold your, we're, we're going to talk about that scene later. Hold your thoughts on it. I got to stop you. We'll be here all night. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. My bad, my bad. Go ahead, go ahead. You're good, man. <laughs> you got it. All right, the next, now I'm afraid of any 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 other, but see that, this speaks to the Dark Knight trilogy. There's so many moments that show the whole story as a whole, so many iconic moments. It's hard to do this, man. Yeah. But the next one is, uh, some people, and this is one of your favorite lines, get ready for another that's tough, because this is one of Eric's favorite scenes. Mm. I watched him quote this scene for a monologue in acting class. This is Michael Caine. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Mm. That's a tough one. This is an all-time classic monologue where we see Alfred perfectly describe Joker. You've got Batman. He's coming at it like, look, I stopped the League of, of Assassins. This is just some nutcase and, and makeup. I'm going to figure him out, and it, that'll be that. I ain't worried about him. Yeah. And then Alfred's like, dude, I, I don't think you really understand what's happening here. But see, right. you're trying to figure this guy out, but I'm telling you, man, I don't think there's anything to figure out with this guy. I, I think we've ran into a, a psycho. Right. I, I think we've ran into somebody who just wants to kill people. You can't you can't negotiate with him. Yeah, th- th- this is somebody who can't be reasoned with. He just wants to watch the world burn. He just wants to kill people. Um, I'm just adding another tie to scene three. I just thought of another scene, but I didn't want to have like as I'm talking. I thought of another Heath Ledger scene. There's too many Heath Ledger moments. There's too many. There's too no, one villain should not have been that good. Um. It's not fair. Uh, but that scene, yeah. Uh, next one is Batman Begins, the scene where he goes to confront Carmine Falcone, and uh, he Carmine tells him, Kid, this is a world you don't understand. Mm. And you always fear what you don't understand. Yeah. Because in that scene, Bruce is thinking, I'm the rich Bruce Wayne. I'm going to go show this punk mob boss what I'm all about. And the mob boss is just like, yeah, kid, look, fear runs this city. There's a judge right there, two lawyers over there. And even though you're Bruce Wayne and you think you're somebody, I could blow your brains out in this bar right now and no one would do anything to stop me and nothing would happen to me. Now, that's power that you can't buy. I was like, oof. And in that moment, that what makes that scene so powerful, that was the moment it clicked for Batman. He's like, you're right. I've got to become scarier than the mob. How do I do that? And then Batman, you know, he later tells Alfred, as a symbol, if I can become more, make them fear me. Right. And it worked. Yeah. It worked. Uh, Next scene, um, Batman sprays Scarecrow with fear gas. Okay, th- this is the comic book me loving this because I just always love the irony. I mean, this is something Batman has done repeatedly in the comics, spraying Scarecrow with his own fear gas. It's always just so satisfying to watch Scarecrow freak out. Yeah. It always is because he's always messing with people so much, and Batman always says something like, oh, what's wrong? Are you scared? Mm-hmm. 
Like he's always got to say something cold blooded. I love that scene. Yeah. Uh, next scene also in Batman Begins, I don't have to save you. I yeah. absolutely love this scene. That was the ultimate loophole. Well, Batman doesn't kill and race is like, oh, look at you, my successor. You're gonna <laughs> kill me. And then Batman's like, no, fam, I ain't gonna kill you, but um, I'm under no obligation to get you out of here. Peace. Right. Save yourself. If you don't, that's on you. <laughs> that was just beautiful. And then finally, this is another scene that could have just as easily been in the top five, but I've got just so many ties now. Uh, at num- the final, I-, I guess you would call it number one honorable mention, uh, almost number five on the list, would be Two Faces creation slash the hospital scene with Joker. Yeah. Um, that scene, just seeing <clears throat> Two-Face face-to-face with the man who just had his girlfriend killed. It's 100% Joker's fault. And Joker, after five minutes of talking to him, has Two-Face questioning everything he's ever known. And convinced this man that it was not his fault. And not only that, convinced him to let him live. Bro, What? And then, you know, I mean, that could have been a lot shorter of a movie if that coin would have landed on the wrong side. Um, <laughs> Joker knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. I don't think he would have let Harvey kill him either way. But he would have, I think he would have let him because he knew he was the living embodiment of chaos at two Batman's uh, law and order. Oh, that is so. so- that so is, he he knew good and well he wasn't it wasn't going to happen because this story has to play out one way or the other. He knew that that is, that is just such a great line. Oof! I'm an agent of chaos. An agent of chaos. Just explaining it. All right. So now for the list. Let me say, this was the hardest list I have ever made. And if you ask me to make a second list, Eric, if you ask me to do this episode again tomorrow, I feel like only number one would remain at number one. Yeah. There is a moment in the trilogy that I have unequivocally at number one. That that moment does exist for me. Um, Yeah. For some people, it may shock you. For some, it may not. But let's start with number five. At number five, I've got The Dark Knight Rises, Bruce Rises out of the prison. Um, This scene gives me chills. Mm. To watch Batman get the ever... Oh, another honorable mention would be Bane beating Batman into oblivion. I forgot to add that. Beating his brakes off. Oh, that was brutal. I was wondering what would break first, your mind or your body. Ooh. Yep. God, that was cold-blooded. Shout out to Tom Hardy. But to see Batman go from so hopeless to, I've got to get out of here. And they're just explaining to him, like, yeah, that's pretty much impossible. It's not going to happen, though. The the scene that, the moment that really made this scene stand out was when he finally got rid, when he finally got out, he climbed without the rope. Like he kept failing and failing, and the guy finally told him, "You want to know why you keep failing? Why? Because you wear that safety rope, and subconsciously, you know it's okay if you don't give it a hundred and ten percent because the rope will catch you." 
But if you take the rope off and you let your fear of dying carry you out of here, you'll make it. Right. And that's exactly what happened. He knew on that jump, if I don't make this, I'm done so. I'm over. Mm -hmm. And to watch him crawl out of that, just the symbolism of what Batman does. He rises above no matter what. And in this scene, we saw it in a very real sense. Batman has run out of Gotham. The secrets of what happened with Harvey Dent have been exposed. Gotham is in utter turmoil, and Batman is going back to save the city he loves. Right. And the moment that follows with the the Bat logo burned into the building and Bane out there, impossible. Right. He's just, just that one moment, just that scene of, you got to be freaking kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Right. Yeah, so that's my number <clears> five. <throat> I don't know if you have any thoughts on that scene. Uh, yeah, man, just to off that scene alone, I'll keep it to that scene. Um, <clears throat> first of all, just to comp on your earlier comment, I have no clue how they masterly wrote how everyone in the Dark Knight got what they deserved as far as the coin toss. I don't know how they reverse flipped that psychology and wrote that between the Joker and two. That's just masterful. But to the scene, um, if you, if if Batman can do that and can climb out of any hole and climb out of darkness, then you can too with discipline and with the power of belief. Like Alfred said, I don't see just another problem. I see the the power of belief that he was warning Bruce about, and that's what it is. It's the power of belief, the power of you, believing in you and believing that with discipline and, and that never give up attitude you can do it and that's exactly what bruce wayne embodied in that scene climbing up out of there let go of your fear stop being afraid to fail go try it you haven't done enough yet and if he can get out if i can get out then you can too and that's that's isn't that what makes batman such a relatable pop culture icon and even an icon across the world to millions of people who may be struggling with fear or struggling with depression or struggling with whatever it is that they have going on in their life. Batman is that symbol that even though I'm just a mere man, I'm just a mortal. I can stand up to gods. I can stand up to things that are bigger than I am. I can stand up to my situation. I can stand up to anything in my life as long as I'm disciplined and I believe that I can do it. You can too. Simple as that. Amazing scene. Oh, yeah. All right, so at number four, Batman Begins. I'm Batman. (laughs) Number four. Your delivery is iconic. (laughs) I I love that scene because here we have, it's like, it's the, the real life living out of the advice that Falcone gave him. That's fear. He taught him the power of fear. Well, here's Batman, and he's got everybody terrified. Right. And then he just hits him with that one line, I'm Batman. I love that so like Anytime. I mean, that's all I got to say. I'm Batman. Nothing else. I don't need to add anything else to why that seems awesome. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everyone has their own different spin on that scene. Uh, I think... Uh, Battinson did it did it very well too 
but oh, I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. You know what I'm saying? I think that was great too, but at the same time, it was something about the way Christian Bale delivered that line. It's raw. It's real. It's authentic. And who he know. said it to. And who he said it to. Now that's Carmine Falcone. Right. Criminal mob boss. Yeah. Who just threatened you and told you that I could blow your brains out and no one would flinch. Him. That's who you told that. Picked him up by his collar and said, bro, I'm Batman. And bow. Straight head butted him. God, I love Dis- that name. Disappeared and then sat out there on the side of a building his made Falcone a symbol, put him on the light and said, you're going to be my first bat signal. Speaking of which, that's crazy. That's just crazy. So, absolutely, dude. Iconic scene. There's not much to break down there. It's iconic. Alright. So, since I've got... <laughs> man, I'm just looking at this. I've got five scenes left, because I've got two ties for two and three, and then one scene that stands on its own. And in these five scenes, three of them involve Heath Ledger. No one can act shocked. No one can be shocked. I'm so surprised, brother. I'm very surprised. <laughs> Eric's over here like, I'm surprised it wasn't just all Heath Ledger. This is insanity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if someone tell me I'm wrong on these. Um, but let me do the... Let me go ahead and get to our first Heath Ledger moment. Okay. I told you I'm a man of my word. That whole scene with the gigantic pile of money. Mm-hmm. That entire, because that it, Joker's story, this is what impressed me so much about Nolan is the way that Joker's story progressed throughout the movie. Like, he wasn't just there to be there and be the villain. Like, he had his own story that progressed and his motives were gradually revealed more and more throughout the movie. Like, when the first scene you see him in, Okay, Joker's a bank robber. That kind right. of seems like a Joker thing to do. He'll just rob a bank for the hell of it. Yeah. And then, and then you see like he's got his own men killing each other for bigger profits, but then he kills the last one. So it's just like, yeah, I, I just I just wanted to kill people. Right. Because I'm Joker. And, and then he, he introduces himself to the mob and he's like, Look, guys, I feel bad for you. Because the mob is losing money. I get it. You know, times are tough. But your problem is Batman. And for a nominal fee, I'll take care of him for you. I'll handle him. I'll clean it up. He's like, I'll do that for you. Because I work for... I, I'm. He presents himself as a killer for hire. Right. He's like, I'll take care of your problem. And at first, they're kind of like, bro, get just get out of here. We hate you. And yeah. then, once Harvey starts doing his thing... They're like, huh, dude had a prop. He had a point. He had a point. And then at first, they're like, wait a minute. This is awesome. You know, right. he's doing it. Like, all the judges are scared. We won't be convicted. This is epic. And now, not only that, he took our accountant away from the police department who was going to rat us all out. Joker got him back. Right. Man, we're geniuses. This guy went above and beyond. <laughs> or so they thought. They thought. And then we get to this scene where they realize the hard way what they've really done is unleash the cancer on Gotham. Right. They have just let a cancer run free that cannot be contained. And it has spread. 
just right. the, the sheer fear in the Italian's face when Joker says, "This, oh, oh yeah, all you care about is money. This <laughs> town deserves a better class of criminal, and right. I'm gonna give it to him." I was just watching that movie with a female classmate who had never seen it, and when he said that, she goes, "Oh my goodness, this is the coolest villain ever." <laughs> She's like, he is so, and she gave a great description of him I never thought of. She said, he's so arrogant, like insanely full of himself. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, he is. And she mentioned like the way that it's all a game to him. And yeah. it is. Oh, and not to mention Lau was sitting on top of that pile of money when Joker burned it. Yeah. And there's just that terror when the Italian realizes, wait, he's taken over. And how was Joker taken over? People have bought into his BS. Right. He has sold it. Number one, they're terrified of him. That's the number one thing. And number two, they listen to what he's saying, and it's a philosophical black. They believe in him. That's what's terrifying about Joker is that they believe in his cause, and they believe in because Gotham is a corrupt city. It's one of those, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's like, Gotham City has been screwing us all over, and here comes Joker, and Gotham hates him, but you know what? We hate Gotham. Right. But for that scene, it's just that revelation of how evil Joker is when he has the Italian killed. And the way he's just talking about it, just, and then we'll see how loyal a hungry dog really is. Really is. is. And then he hits that line, it's not about money. It's about sending a message. A message. And then exactly. he confirms everything Alfred said. Everything burns. Right. Like Alfred told him, some men just want to watch the world burn. And Heath Ledger says, everything burns. Right. That's Chris it. For Nolan is a dang genius. Genius. A freaking genius. But, dude, what did you think of that scene? Just the, the mob's reaction. Oh, we didn't hire a killer. We just bit off way more than we can chew we made a big mistake they thought that they see back in that day <clears throat> back in that day when it was the golden age of superheroes and and this thing was all about cops and robbers and the superhero would come in to save the day you know that must have been the time that these guys thought that they were living in. They think this is about honor and respect and dignity. And then when there's a deity or an entity that is introduced that is the embodiment of good, like Batman, they think that, man, we'll be able to snuff that out because we're just regular everyday criminals. These idiots unknowingly hire the living embodiment of chaos and evil not knowing that he's about to uproot their whole perspective you know because they think okay once batman's out the way everything's just going to go back to normal we're going to be able to rob banks and and control gambling and do all the other petty little stuff criminals do no this man is going to erase that too he's like this city deserves a better class of criminal and I'm going to give it to him, like you said. Like, bro. And he gave it to him, all right. Because oh, yeah. this, this this went beyond, you know, playing cops and robbers and all that mafia stuff. It went beyond that. This is about the literal 
philosophy of evil. And that's all Joker's preaching this whole time. You know, chaos, chaos. The whole movie, he, he is, every monologue he gives, he delivers it like it's a sermon. It's a sermon. He is telling, and that's what's scary. It's not, you know, it's not anything that he does in this film that is necessarily scary. It's what he's saying that makes Heath Ledger's Joker scary because you know that there's some some amount of truth to it. You know he's telling the truth in, in, in some aspects. Not about everything, of course, because he's a deceiver, but you do understand that he is saying he is speaking some truth in, like in the, some regards. You calling him a deceiver just summed it up. He is almost like a physical embodiment of the devil. Pretty much. I mean, that's what like, the way the set Satan is described. He's a liar, the father of lies. That's Joker because all he does is lie the whole film, deceiving people into killing one another. Well. His his, he, ma- his master plan is basically everyone dies, right? And probably including himself. Probably so. He wouldn't care. He wouldn't care. Not Heath Ledger's Joker. No. But so that's a man of my word scene. Man of my word. All right. So yeah. also tied for number three is Dark Knight Rises: The Unveiling of the Batman Statue. Um. Mm-hmm. This scene got me plum emotional. Yeah. The reason being is is because what do statues do? Like, what's the point of a statue? Is to pay tribute or to symbolize something? Uh, you look at the Statue of Liberty, gorgeous statue, but it also is a celebration of freedom. That's what yeah. it. That's what it means to people. It means freedom. It means opportunity. It you know, it makes right. people feel very patriotic. That's what statues do. They elicit a feeling. Um, yeah. I had the privilege of going to the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And I got to tell you, man, standing there and seeing that monument and standing on those steps where so many iconic speeches have been given. Yeah. It. it I mean, dude, it, it, it's chills. Chills. It's, you just freeze. I mean, but that's the power of statues. Yeah. And with Batman statue, his entire goal, the whole movie, was to give Gotham something to believe in. Something, right. something good. He wanted to inspire good in people. Yeah. And that statue being put in Gotham City Hall, that was, it was Gotham saying, this is what we look to. This is who we all. This is who we should all aspire to be like. Right. You know, no matter how dark the world is, we can all take solace knowing that there was one man who beat the evils of the world. Yeah. And he showed us it can be done. And right. That gives Gotham hope to drive out evil, because that was yeah. a town used to living in fear. It was used to living in mob corruption and. Then later, psychopaths in the League of Assassins, but that right. overcame all of it and gave Gotham something to believe in. And that statue unveiling just always gets me. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't have much to add to that one. Actually, that's a pretty straightforward one. I agree with everything you just said. Hmm. All right. So now I've got three left. Two of them are Ledger. 
I, we're just going to have back-to-back ledgers. Um, so number three is die a hero, live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Um, yeah. a, a great foreshadowing line and an iconic line that, like Eric said, has been used in rap songs over and over and over again. Right. Um, basically, this line also summed up Joker's philosophy. Like, you're only good for so long. Nobody, right. and, and even Zack Snyder, right, touched yeah. on this idea in BVS with Superman saying, no one stays good in this world. Right. Um, that, that's just the idea, like, hey, we all reach a breaking point. Yeah. All of us, we all, we all reach a breaking point. And Harvey Dent, that line, that set up, you know, the storyline of, hey, Harvey also reached his breaking point. Yeah. And it was so sad because, like, you know, you've got Batman the whole movie who is, you know, he's wanting to give it up. He's like, right. okay, he's like, okay, look, I took down Carmine Falcone. I beat the League of Assassins. The only thing left is some petty mob people. Harvey Dent can take care of them. They don't need me anymore. He's right. For that way out. But then, yeah. but then here comes Joker. Here comes Joker, and he screws up everything. He takes away, and you know, Batman, this is what makes Heath Ledger so special. Because mm-hmm. in the same way that Batman's trying to give people hope, Joker's goal, ironically, is the exact opposite. Yeah. His goal is to show Gotham that there is no hope. There is no, like, that's all a lie. Like we're animals. That's all. Right. We are. There's nothing moral about us. Morality is some bullcrap we made up. I'm here to show y'all that this is chaos. Right. And this is what humanity's headed to. I'm just here to speed up the process. And yeah. he makes that point with Harvey Dent, and Harvey Dent sets that up with you: die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. So just a very powerful line. Right. I absolutely agree with that. And I didn't know that that line would become such a staple point, not only in just popular culture, but in in life in general. People use that line to as as inspiration and as a forewarning in general for life. You know, you can go too far. You know, you can you'll you'll live long enough to see yourself become the villain. You know, it just gets to a point where, you know, everyone and even the heroes, even the heroes come to that moment where, you know, they've been doing what they do for so long, you know, eventually they, they take a turn for the worst. And, and, and so they have to sort of be brought back a little bit. And so, you know, you live long you say you die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain uh, just also speaks to how the the conversation about how we should handle justice you know because you got you got um, you got the ballerina you know saying you know this should be handled by elected officials not by some guy in a costume you know what I'm saying and 
Harvey's like, bro, I'm all for it. I'm with people who are will up uh, regular citizens who are willing to take matters into their own hands and stand up for justice. I'm I'm with that, bro. So when he hears that, when when Bruce hears that, he's like, wait. He endorses the Batman. He endorses someone like the Batman. He must be okay. He must might he he probably won't mind picking up the mantle if I give it to him. You know what I'm saying? Like. Oh, and obviously, you know, Bruce just was ready to get get it out the way so that he could be with Rachel. But, I mean, dude, that brought up a big conversation about morality and how we should handle justice. Do we, because this world is corrupt, do we take matters into our own hands? Or do we keep believing in the system and do we leave it to people who are elected officials to handle it, hoping that it will change? But... There's also a dark side to that because you have to understand that if you do take it into your own hands, you're making up the rules. You decide who's judge and jury and executioner. And there's always and consequences. There's always consequences. And the people who think that they may be doing good by eliminating something, and they, they don't see themselves. Like George Lucas said, people who are doing bad things don't really see themselves as the villain. They don't think they're the villain, but they really are. And so... It's a very slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope to walk. Oh yeah. So great line, man. Uh, Definitely. Great line. All right. So number two, number one, and number two at first were tough, but then upon further inspection, I feel very confident in this listing. Now, some people might get shocked at what number two is, um, but I feel yeah. like Eric is pretty confident. He knows what these two moments are. I don't think this will be shocking to anybody. They're both Heath Ledger moments. So the first one is probably his most iconic line. And that, mm. so at number two, we've got, why so serious? Mm. The monologue that made the movie. The, yes. Arguably the most bone-chilling part of the whole movie. We all know the scene. Joker fakes his own death to get to gamble. And then he pops out, sticks a knife in his mouth, and delivers this just gut-wrenching, psychologically disturbing, something straight out of almost an Edgar Allan Poe book, something. Yeah. Just disturbing monologue. This horrifying terror abusing his mother. And then sticking a knife in his own son's mouth, cutting his mouth open. Mm. And that just the way, why so serious? The, the, the repetition of that line. Every, yeah. like, he just drags it out. Like, and all the while, he's got that knife in that man's mouth. He knows what's coming. Right. And Joker's just dragging that out. And he delivers a line that became very popular in pop culture. Uh, why so serious? Which is, that's just another example of how evil Joker is yeah, and what he's all about. So yeah. Number two, why so serious? That's exactly right. Why so serious indeed. Um, speaks to just Joker's crazy, man. Just like he's not trying to prove to you. And I, maybe that's Heath Ledger's acting. Maybe that's the writing. Maybe it's both. But you get villains who do these monologues who try to come across as if they're just trying to scare you. Heath is not trying to scare you in this scene. He's telling you what is. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that's because 
of his method acting. Maybe that's because he went so deep into this character. Because that is method acting, is when you allow, you know, this this character to inhabit you, the spirit of this character to take you over. And so maybe for the most part, that is, that's, well, not even for the most part, it's factual. That's what happened to Heath's Joker. You know what I'm saying? Just, I mean, took him flat out over and so it in that scene it just truly manifested you know he's telling you why so serious you know what i'm saying telling you how things happened with his with his dad and how he grew up because you don't know we don't know the origins of heath's joker it's just you know it's random so (laughs) but he's telling you what what happened to him and he's telling you what it is i'm not trying to scare you and make you believe me i'm just telling you how i am and he makes that seem perfectly clear because and poor gamble you know first he insults your grandmother then he kills your homeboy you know what i'm saying then he kills you like oh what a that that's a sad ending that's a sad way to go out to to the joker but good god man but yeah, definitely an all-time iconic moment. That's how, and that was the Oscar moment, if I'm not mistaken. That's the one where we knew, like they they knew, like okay, he's gonna win the Oscar for this. This was that moment. Like, there, pay there attention. Were, there, there were several. <clears throat> yeah, there were several. All right, so I I, I lied. There, there's a tie for number one. Oh my gosh, dude! You have like six. Six in the top three. <laughs> you, you know how much I hate ties. Yeah. But how do you leave these scenes out, though? It's a good question. You can't. You just can't. I, I, this is tough. All right, so. But this is actually more 1A, 1B. So the one that was originally number one is still number one, but it's 1A, 1B. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. So at one B, it's madness is like gravity. All mm-hmm. it takes is a little push. Yeah. This scene, like Batman has got Joker, the 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 big boat experiment has failed, and it seems like Batman is about to ride off into the sunset, and he's lecturing Joker just so confidently about, you know. Gotham believes in good, that this is a, a good people city, and yada yada. He, he's just talking Joker's ear off about the goodness of Gotham. Giving him the morality talk, yeah. Oh, yeah. As only until their spirit breaks. Completely. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then he says, only until they get a look at the real Harvey Dent. The he said that name, Batman's soul saint. There was just yeah. that, all Batman could say is, "What did you do?" Oh crap! <laughs> and then just that line: "I took Gotham's White Knight and brought him down to our level." Right. Because madness, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. And yep. just that line, and also in that scene, him telling Batman. This is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. And yeah. He just delivers that comic book accurate line. You won't kill me out of some misplaced sense of self-righteousness, and I'm never going to kill you because you're just too much fun. You're too much fun. Right. I think we're destined to do this forever. 
And then that line, hey, you'll be in a padded cell forever. Well, maybe we can share one. Maybe we can share one. At the rate like, this city's inhabitants are losing their minds. <laughs> like, dude, Joker just always had a wit about him. He was never outsmarted that whole movie. Yeah, not like, once. He was, he was going to get the last verbal jab in. Yeah, absolutely. And it was always fun to watch. Okay, so now the, the, the big moment, number 1A. Eric, what do you think it is? I want you to have one guess. If I had to guess, and it's the Heath Ledger scene already, right? Right. Hmm. That's tough because we've pretty much ran through every single moment almost. But not his most well-known scene. Let's see. What is it? First of all, that's a question. And so what is his most well-known scene? Bro, you know how many well-known scenes Heath Ledger has? Like, bro, what what how do you even quantify that? Like, that's it can't be the hit me. It can't be the one on the street. It can't be no. that one. No. It it's the interrogation scene. That's it's what it the is. Interrogation it's the scene. bloody interrogation it's scene. It's the bloody interrogation scene, Eric. Yes. It was always the bloody interrogation scene. I should have known better. It had to be. There is no other scene. There is no... The entire scene, Eric, is pure Joker. This was the scene that catapulted, not just past, but catapulted Heath Ledger above Mark Hamill, Jack Nicholson, Cesar Romero. I don't care. It, it, this is not close for me. That one scene, everything. He's just so calm, so collected. Batman shows up, and he's just not phased. Like Batman is so used to just showing up, and criminals are scared. That's what he's played off of. But now, right. now he's looking at a guy who's just like, oh, hey, Batman, what's up? Yeah. It's so nice to finally meet you. Right. And then just that whole lecture he gives Batman, they're only as good as the world allows them to be. Yeah. This was his Oscar scene. For me, this was his Oscar moment. Yeah. The entire interrogation scene was his Oscar moment. Yeah. Just everything about it. The lecture on morality. I'm not a monster. I'm ahead of the curve. Right. And the way he's messing with Gordon, you know, who did you leave him with? Your people? And then that line, me? I was right here. I was right here, dog. I was chilling. What'd I do? And you, but you know, well, the crazy part is, you know, good and well, he did orchestrate the whole thing. Yeah. He's having fun because he's that much of a psychopath. Yeah. And then the way Batman just beats the absolute crap out of him and joker's laughing right like batman's terrified he's like i'm beating the crap out of this dude and he's laughing it's not working (laughs) you've got nothing to threaten me with right you you can whoop me all day you think i don't know you can beat me in a fight dude you think i'm afraid of physical pain right you gotta do better than that gotta do better but dude that entire scene that was the scene where Joker's intentions were revealed. Yeah. That was, you know, because the whole movie, it's like Joker's not just a bank robber. 
Yeah, he, he like his whole purpose in this movie is not just to kill Batman. Like, right. wh- what's Joker really doing? This yeah. was the scene. Was this, he really up to? This was the scene where Joker said, "Look, th- th- everything I'm doing, this is nothing personal. Th- there's no master plan here. Outside of I'm gonna show you what I've known all along." This world is a wicked, messed up place. And yeah. He proves his point. And the whole point is all it takes, you know, people look at me like I'm a monster, but I'm yeah. a human being. But I'm just, I happen to be a human being who had right. a really bad day. That's all I am. Right. And everybody on planet Earth is one day away from being just like. Right, and that theme is repeated over and over after that theme. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, man. The interrogation scene, number one, Dark Knight trilogy moment. And I don't blame you for putting it there because, and and the crazy thing about that scene is that he was telling the truth. Both him and Batman are telling the truth simultaneously, just on two sides of the coin. Batman is right. There is good in people. There's always going to be hope and optimism. But Joker was also telling the truth. When the chips are down, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. I don't know if anybody's seen social media lately. As soon as some crazy event happens and as soon COVID, for Christ's sakes, perfect example. Whole world shuts down. Chips are down. Everyone turns to savages. Get the toilet paper. Get the toilet paper, split the food to get the vaccine or to not get the vaccine. You're either Republican or Democrat or just bro. Just when the chips are down, civilized people eat each other. And that's all everyone did. 2020, we ate each other. So Joker was telling the exact truth. And and then to to and and plus the interrogate. I mean, it's just. Anytime you can neutralize Batman, because normally Batman is the one who neutralizes people with his mind and with his t- master ability of tactics. But Joker, even though he's just a common guy, he doesn't have all this martial arts training and all that mess. And mass, bruh, his street sense and his ability to be tactical and him outsmart Batman like that is second to none. It like, bro. This man's got Batman punching at him and doing all that, and there's nothing he can do about it. I'm like, yeah, you can be big dog. I submit to you that there would be, well, maybe not, maybe not. I'll take that back. I ain't gonna say that. Um, but freaking just to be able to outsmart Batman like that and have him acting that way, that's insane. Knowing that he can't do anything. And to your second point about the gravity scene. I, will, I said it once on an earlier podcast, and I'll say it again. That moment is the eternal moment for me that marked Heath Ledger as being the best Joker. I think that me and you are destined to do this forever, and I'll always submit it. The way they acted that out, that wasn't just talking about him and Christian Bale's Batman. That was... a written line that symbolized Batman and Joker in every single continuity that we will see them in from now to the end of time. The never-ending battle between chaos and order. 
the never-ending battle between them. Never bloody ending. We're destined to do this forever, no matter who it is. If I'm Battinson or Barry Keegan or whoever, we're going to be there 100%. If we're in animation, if Batman is there, I'm there 24-7. We are going to do this forever. And so not only did he mean that for him and Bale, but that was just a, a monumentally acted out and written line that spoke to spoke to Joker and Batman's eternal war on each other. So just crazy, bro. Just oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I've and as you were talking, I've got our topic for the next J House. And what is that? Top five worst DCU moments. Jesus Christ. Soon as we soon as we have a moment of happiness here, we're taking it right back to the to the to the pain. Tell me that wouldn't be a fun list. I don't know if it would, man. That universe is dead. I wanna leave it there. I, I can't even go back to it. I'll go back to the Snyderverse. I cannot go back to the top. I cannot go back to the worst DCEU moments, bro. Can't bro. Oh God. Just let it let it be there. Just let it stay, bro. Let it stay, please. Top five MCU moments, then. I could do that. That would definitely be one to discuss. That would definitely be one to discuss, probably. Yeah. Not only that, but I think we need to discuss the fan reactions because the um, the Snyder Snyder Con is over. I didn't get to attend. There was no announcement of the Snyderverse continuing. This was just a simple celebration of the three films to close them out because Gunn's universe is about to start. The Flash is about to come out. So I know all of the Twitterverse is going to be upset about that, but um, no Snyderverse returning. So that's that. No new news on that. Dang. Yep. I'm sure people aren't thrilled to hear that. And I understand, but I mean... It's the end of an era. Look, all I'm saying is I really like what I saw from that new Flash trailer. It looks very good. There's some people complaining about nostalgia, and I get it, but like, at the end of the day, these are superhero movies designed to entertain us. They're not all supposed to be some dark night, whatever, profound statement on humanity. I wish they could all be like the dark night, though, sadly. I don't, because the thing that makes the Dark Knight so special is that there's only one of them. If you have a bunch of things trying to be one thing, then that kind of diminishes the uniqueness of it. Like yeah. If, like if everybody drove Lamborghinis, would Lamborghinis be special? That's true. That's just kind of how I see it. I think that what makes the Dark Knight and Logan so amazing is like, yeah, they're both dark movies, but they're different. Logan is a lot more violent, a lot more graphic, a lot more, I would almost say fast-paced than Dark Knight, whereas the Dark Knight is more psychological. Yeah. It's more thriller than action, more drama, more like NCIS type something. Yeah. So I just think that it's a matter of balance. But, I mean, in this case, look, I'm devastated that I've had to watch Warner Brothers 
essentially run my favorite franchise into the ground. Right. This, is, this has been – and I need people to understand this too. I don't have fun dogging D.C. Nope. I've never come on this podcast and had fun when I've had to argue with you about, like, what went wrong for D.C. Those were yeah. not fun conversations. Um, not at all. I mean, they got to the point where you're just like, dude, we, we had talks. We're like, we don't want to do this anymore talking about this. Yeah. Um, and you don't got me ranting now. <laughs> we'll say we'll save it for the next one. We'll save it for the next one. This was a good one. Absolutely, brother. This was a great one. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. This is J House Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Eric Houston, with my co-host Evan Elliott, and we will catch you guys later, man. Peace. Peace. Thank, Thank you for, for joining. joining. This, this has been, been another, another edition of J House Radio. Radio.